Amen. Thank you, Kim. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that this morning. Thank all of you for worshiping. Thank you, choir and our praise team. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I'm going to be reading verses 16 through 21. Luke 4, 16 through 21. This morning I want to share a message uh, that I've just entitled, The Message of Jesus. We find where Jesus is back in his hometown in Nazareth, grew up there. And so he came back uh, for a little visit. And when he came back, he went into the synagogue and he shared. And so we want to look at this passage. It's the message of Jesus. Luke chapter 4. We'll look at verse 16 through 21. So he came to Nazareth, which he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So they give him this book. They give him a scroll. It's not a book. It was a scroll. And so he looks. He looks for a passage that he was wanting to read. He just didn't open it up and read it. But he was searching for a particular passage. I'm going to be dealing with that passage in depth, uh, in depth Wednesday night, perhaps. Verse 18 is the passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant. He sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him or on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to come and worship you. Thank you for the sweet music, hymns, praise songs, opportunity to pray. And now, Lord, for you to speak to our hearts through your word. Allow your Holy Spirit to take this word, your word, and apply it to our hearts, lives. And, Lord, that we'll be not just hearers but doers of your word. Help us to see what message you have just for us personally and then as a church. Thank you for this opportunity. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say, the men. May your Holy Spirit work among us. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 15, you're going to find that gives details on how Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And so we pick up in verses 16 through 21 where he begins to explain his mission as the Messiah. So crucifixion hasn't come about, and so he's explaining his mission as the Messiah. Now remember, they've rejected him and will totally reject him at his crucifixion but they've rejected him as the Messiah. And he's preaching a particular gospel. It's not the gospel of grace that Paul preaches and acts following, 
But it's the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom is that he is the king. He's the Messiah. And one day he's going to be setting up his kingdom here on earth. And so uh, momentarily for about a thousand years. And then we're going to be with him in heaven. But this is kind of the background. But notice as we start here, there's a custom. He has this custom found in verse 16. Verse 16 says, let me find it. Verse 16 says, he came to Nazareth, which we brought up, and as his custom was, his custom. Now, what was his custom? The word custom there, the Greek word for custom is our English word for habit. So what was his custom? What was his, what was his habit? Well, his habit was that he went to synagogue on the Sabbath day. That was his habit. That was his custom. Went to synagogue on the Sabbath day. You see, the synagogue was one of the most important institutions of the Jew uh, in the time of our Lord. Synagogue was very important. If you remember during the exile, they had no temple. Temple had been destroyed. They had no temple to go to to worship. Therefore, synagogues were established for the people to have a place of worship. You know, after the tornado, I was thinking about after the tornado, we didn't have a place to worship. And we went, we had our first service out here on the parking lot. No place to worship but the parking lot. And then after that, the, the uh, uh, evangelism department, our state evangelism department, furnished us a tent that would hold about 250 people, and, and we worshiped in that tent. Then the third week, uh, Northwest Shows, uh, board of directors, the president, they were so kind to say, hey, you can worship here as long as you want to. They gave us a room for a nursery, a room for a Sunday school, adult Sunday school class. The other classes met, if you remember, in your homes during the week. Adults met there on Sunday morning. So we had a nursery. And then we had a place to worship. Fourteen weeks later, we were back here on site and we just couldn't wait we always look and we always long to be back at the site where our building of worship would be so the point is while in exile these synagogues were established for the people to have a place of religious gathering they'd go to the synagogue however after the temple was rebuilt the synagogues remained now if you had a town that had at least 10 families then you could have a synagogue. A synagogue was built, a town with ten families. That seems small, but really it was about normal size of a town back then. So a synagogue was built, a synagogue built, and then there was a, a leader assigned to that synagogue, and then the scripture was read, the scripture was taught, and people, people prayed. Now today, God's people, as Gentiles, we don't have a synagogue. But we have, a, we have a church building. We have a church building in which we come together as the church, the ecclesia, the church, the called out body of Christ. We come together, not on the Sabbath, but we come together on the first day of the week as resurrection changed the time when we worship, from what the Jews worship. We come together on the first day of the week. We come together as the called out ones of God. We meet at the church. We meet at the church building for study. We studied Sunday school. We studied uh, Bible study this morning. We meet for worship. We're doing that now. We meet here to, to, have, to pray. We've done that. We meet here for fellowship. We're going to do that tonight. So this is where we come. 
and how good it is for God's people to come together on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. However, some have forgotten the habit, the custom of meeting together at God's house on the Lord's Day. And that's shameful. That's shameful. Hebrews 10, verse 24, and you probably know it by heart. Hebrews 10, verse 24, and uh, normally I'll quote verse 25, but I'm going to do 24 and 25. kind of goes together. Verse 24 says, and let us consider one another. You come to church to consider each other. You don't come to church, just come to church. But you come to consider one another. Notice what it says. You come, let us consider one another in order to do what? To stir up love and good works. That's why we come. Stir up love for each other and stir up good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some. Now, that word forsaking means to leave. Uh, don't, don't leave the assembly as some have. Some do, some have. Not only here, but we're, we're living in the last days. I don't know if that's dawned on you or not. But we're living in the last days. And one sign of the last days is a falling away. And the great falling away is, is primarily going to happen during the tribulation period. But we can see ripples of that now. Falling away. Church is not important. Church is a place you go not to love, not to stir up, but if it's something you don't have better to do, then you go to church. I mean, that's the way it is. Let's be honest with each other, because God knows. And he says, don't forsake, don't leave the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but what? Exhorting one another. That word exhort comes from a Greek word, um, Paracleo, where we get the same word, uh, the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. The Holy Spirit came to do what? Jesus said, comfort us. And he says, don't fail, don't, don't, but, but exhorting one another, comforting one another. And you do this as long as you expect him to come back any moment. That's what he said. So we come to the church building to comfort the called out ones of God and to stir up love and good works toward each other. And we are to come together more and more and more as we see the day appearing. Day of what? His coming back at the rapture. So we ought to be having church, quite honestly, every night of the week. Because it's not going to be long until he comes back. Now, I don't, we don't know much about the childhood of Jesus. Those are known, theological circles, as the silent years of Jesus. We don't know about when he was a toddler, and we don't know how he crawled around on the floor, really what he did in the carpenter shop of his dad. We just kindly, we just kindly knew he, he did carpentry work. He's referred to as the carpenter. So we don't know about his childhood days, those silent years. However, I can kindly fill you in on one day, and that's the Sabbath day. He was at church. 
He was at the synagogue. He went to the appointed place of worship. Now the question is, why would a genuine believer, why would a genuine follower, I may be wrong in thinking this, wondering this, tell me if I am, but why would a genuine believer, a follower, a disciple of Jesus, not want to go to the house of God to study, to worship, to pray, to stir up love and good works in the people of God, the closer we get to Christ coming back. Why would a genuine believer not want to do that? That's my opinion. I really believe that a genuine believer wants to do that. I've never had an issue with that. So he had a custom. You take a note, number two. He had a message, verses 16 through 19. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. So he stands up to read. This synagogue official, he, he kind of directed the service. They had an order of service. You know, it, but the Bible teaches to do things decently in order. There's nothing wrong in having an order of service. You don't want to have chaos. First Corinthians tell how they were speaking in tongues, and he, they said, hey, listen, what if a guest comes in and, and sees all this chaos going on? What would they think? No, it's not wrong to have an order of service. In God's house, you have an order in your schoolroom, or you have an order on your job. Why come to church and be chaotic? So this this official directed the service, and he would ask a guest to read and expound on the scripture. So Jesus was from Nazareth. He knew everybody, probably. Knew all the secrets. Well, he was God. I knew he did that. It probably made some nervous when he got up. But anyway, he was a real popular person, and he was asked to read, and he read Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. And he was saying, this is my message, number one. I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, keep in mind, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Good news. Now, he's not preaching his death, burial, and resurrection. That's not happened yet. In fact, the, he, Matthew 14, Matthew 9 tells us he was preaching the kingdom gospel, that he was the Messiah. He'd done all these miracles. He raised the dead, healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, gave walk to the cripple. Why did he do all that? To prove, to show to them that he was the Messiah. That was prophesied the Messiah would do that. And so he's preaching his kingdom gospel, hey, I'm the Messiah. And since I'm the Messiah, I've got some good news to the poor. The good news to the poor. Not referring to his death, burial, and resurrection, but good news to the poor. You see, these people had ancestors that had, had been in exile. They'd been in captivity. They'd lost their homes. They'd lost their land. They'd went through everything. Crops were destroyed. Life had just been hard. Life had been sad. And now they remember all of this. He's speaking to them. They remember their, their present lives were not much better than their ancestors. Life just didn't look good for them right now under a Roman rule. I mean, it was really unpleasant time for them. It was... It was a gloomy time for them. The future looked real dark for them. And Jesus said, I've got some good news for the poor. I care for you. 
I care for you. Now, there are a lot of rich people in the world, a lot of rich people. I, I don't know how many rich people, I don't know how rich you are, but I do know this. A lot of rich people in the world, however, there's more poor people than rich people in the world. And Jesus said, listen, remember this. I've come, good news, for the poor. I care for you. I've come to care for you. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you receive him into your life. I promise you, based on this book, you may not be rich as the world sees being rich, but you'll have all that you need to satisfy you in regards to your food, your clothing, and your shelter. Three basic needs. You don't have to worry about any of that. Look at a familiar passage, Matthew chapter 6 talks about worry talks about worry Matthew 6 verse 25 I'm going to take time to read this Matthew 6 verse uh, verse 25 and we'll we'll read on to uh, somewhere Matthew 6 verse 25 here it is don't worry Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you drink, about what you put on your body, or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to your statue? Nobody. You can't add an inch to your height by worrying. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, because of what all was said before, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But, flip side, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So, what's the key of worrying and not worrying? Seeking Christ, knowing that he's going to give us what we need. So, when he provides for your needs, don't take your need money and go spend it on your desires or your wants, but take your need money and put it on your needs. And when you come to the end of the month, you'll have your needs met. You may not have the, the thrills of this life, but you, you're promised to have your needs met. Jesus had a custom. Jesus had a message. This is good news for the poor. And then he says, I came to heal the brokenhearted. Number two, I came to heal the brokenhearted. So, you know, this week I went to two funeral visitations. Some of you did too. I, I, I went to Tamla Whitten's and, and Ricky just almost collapsed in my arms. He was just grieving so bad. Those boys broke my heart. I was brokenhearted. He sure was. I went to Donnie Lauderdale's, a broken-hearted family. 
I sat on the sofa with a person this week. He said he was on his deathbed and, and wanted to talk with me. We sat there, planned his funeral, brokenhearted. However, the ironic thing, this is not referring to the brokenhearted of someone who has someone that's died. It's not referring to that at all. This passage is not referring to death. The scripture is directed to those who have a broken heart because of their life. They've messed their life up. You know anybody like that? Perhaps it was you. Have you ever come to a point in your life and, and, and you're thinking, my goodness gracious, you go to bed at night and you sob and you cry on your pillow, what am I going to do? What, what's going to happen to me? How's all this going to end? I have ruined my life. I mean, I don't know how this is going to work out. I've got to find some help. You see, they are brokenhearted because of their past sins. Friend, listen, Jesus came to heal your broken heart. He died on the cross for your sins. He's willing to forgive your sins. He'll give you peace that is beyond your understanding if you'll just allow him to have control of your life. He had a custom. He came with a message, good news for the poor, willing to heal the brokenhearted, and then preach deliverance to the captives. Now, who are the captives? Tell you who the captives are. Those those who Satan holds as his prisoner. You've been held by Satan. You're captive. Did you know that Satan holds, he has many servants, many servants. John 8 verse 34 says, Whosoever committed sin is a servant of sin. I like what Jesus said in Romans, uh, Romans 6 verse 16. Listen to this. Do, not, do you not know to whom you present your slaves, yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death. You know, the wages of sin is what? Death. You dilly-dally around in sin long enough, and based on God's word, it's going to kill you eventually whether it's sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. So if Satan has compelled you to serve him and you've become one of his pimps, so to speak, Jesus has a message for you. And that is, I've come to release you from your bondage of sin and from your servant, Satan. But you have to receive him into your life. John 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so, friend, listen, Jesus wants all of you. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you, and he wants to make a new life out of you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, and old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So listen, this morning Christ has come to release you from the bondage of Satan and sin. He came with a message for the poor. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to preach deliverance to the captives. And he came to give sight to the blind. You know, there's three different kinds of blindness. There's a physical blindness. We're, we're well acquainted with that. Then there's a moral blindness. 
moral blindness, blindness to being blind to drunkenness, blind to profanity, blind to obscenity, blind to immorality. I mean, I'm around people and they're just cursing like, oh, get out and don't even know they're cursing, using God's name. They're blind. They're blind to, the, they're blind to obscenity, profanity. They're blind to that. Then there's this spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. That's the worst kind of blindness. And the reason for that, because it's the root of moral blindness. If you're blind spiritually, you're going to have all those other blindness. You're going to be blind to, uh, blind to uh, moral behavior. You're going to be you're going to be blind to drunkenness and obscenity and profanity, and you're going to be blind to all of that if you're spiritually blind. It's kind of the root of all moral blindness. So when you're spiritually blind, you cannot see the highest of being. You cannot see God. Um, you, you can't see the greatest of all truth. You can't see that, yes, there is a God. You can't see that. There is a darkness where one is blind to the truth that there is a God and there's a blindness to the truth that we're responsible to Him. Well, I'm going to stand in front of Him one day. You say, I don't believe in God. That don't make any difference whether you believe it or not. It doesn't do away with the fact that there is a God and there's a, there's a great white throne judgment and there's a judgment seat of God and people die and they stand before God. You're, you have a destiny. I shared this last Sunday. And that destiny is to meet God. You'll meet him at the judgment seat and you'll receive your reward. Or you'll meet him at the great white throne and you'll receive your eternal destiny in a place called hell. You're on a destiny to meet God. You ain't met him yet, perhaps, but you're on that way. And the point is, if you can't see that there's a God and you can't see that you're responsible to him, then you are spiritually blind. Blind. So his message, there's news for the poor, I heal the brokenhearted, deliverance to the captives, give sight to the blind, and I'll close with this. Set at liberty those that are bruised. <clears throat> when you bruise something, you, you crush it. You can, you can bruise a rose. You can bruise a flower. You can bruise a piece of fruit. You drop an apple, it'll bruise. A banana will bruise. Fruit a bruise. A fish will bruise. Had tropical fish years ago in retail, and we had we had uh, fifty aquariums in our store, and we we had fish transported from Florida to Tennessee, and you dump them out of the bag if you weren't careful, you bruise them. They die, crushed. You ever been crushed, bruised? We've all been bruised. The older we get the more we see that we're easy to bruise. So the word bruise means to crush. And so you can bruise a flower, you fruit, a fish. Some of you have been bruised. You've been crushed by problems, by persecution, bruised by your health, bruised by your reputation's been bruised, crushed. Or maybe a friend has bruised you. Or a, a Christian has bruised you. Jesus said, I want to set at liberty those who are bruised. Jesus wants to give you freedom, set you free from those who have bruised you. He wants to take your suffering and replace your suffering with his grace and mercy and kindness. That's what he wants to do for you.
So there's a message, but then there's a conclusion. And the conclusion is verse 19. Look at that, if you will. Verse 19. Verse 19. He says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Let me read it. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Here's the point. There's a space of time that God permits a person to repent, to turn to him, trust him for their salvation. That's, that's your opportunity. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You know what that means? Today is, is the acceptable time for you to come to Christ. Today. You're here today. Don't put it off to tomorrow because you know what happens to tomorrow? It may never come. So you need to do that today. So Jesus had a message. And it affects all of us at one time or another. My prayer today is you won't wait any longer for Jesus to come to you in whatever area of his message that you picked up. He has that message to the poor. He has that message to the brokenhearted. That message from delivering somebody that's captive to sin and the devil. A message to those that are blind spiritually. A message wants to liberate those who are bruised. But now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time that we've had just to hurriedly go through this. But I know your Holy Spirit will slow us down. And Lord, you'll slow the words down as you apply it to the hearts of people. And I pray for everyone here. And I pray today, I pray for each person here. You've spoken to every heart. I know you have. I just know you have. And so thank you, Lord, for for coming to me in my most desperate time in my life and bringing what I needed to me. And Lord, I, I know you're, you're willing to do that to anyone and for anyone. Speak to the hearts of people now. Thank you for what you're going to do in our invitation time. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Terry's going to... Well, again, I want to thank you for viewing our worship service. If you'd like to know how you could come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, please feel free to contact our church at the address listed. We also encourage you to visit our website. Thank you, and may God bless you. The worst news is you can't save yourself. You really can't. You can't do enough good works. You can't be moral enough. It's good to be moral, but you can't be enough to be saved. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Not of works, least any man should boast. But I've got some good news. Christ came. He did something on the cross that you couldn't do for yourself or I couldn't do. You know what that was? He died for your sins on the cross. It's by his blood that we have forgiveness for our sins. And he says it this way. Listen, I died for your sins. God says, I'll tell you what the deal is. 
you accept what Christ did on the cross for your sins and your sins are forgiven. He paid for them. But if you reject him, I'm a holy God and a just God and you got to pay for your own sins yourself in a place called hell. But that's your choice. It's He doesn't send you to hell. You choose to go to hell. And so, but the best news is, best news, you can have that forgiveness of sin. You can have have the, the assurance of a home in heaven. For the wages of sin is death. But the flip side, the gift of God is what? Eternal life. So wouldn't you like to have that too?